Good morning, good afternoon or good evening and welcome to the Advice Show podcast, bringing you UK and global insights into the financial planning profession. My name is Laura Perkis, I'm a journalist at CityWire New Model Advisor and today I'm speaking to the wonderful Charlotte Wood of Rosewood Financial Planning. Now Charlotte has done a huge amount of work in a very short space of time to help make the financial planning profession more inclusive for women, including launching a Facebook group that now has over 800 members and planning her own all-female conference. But she really kicked things off this year with her explosive article in New Model Advisor entitled I Wish Someone Had Told Me Sooner This Profession Is Broken For Women. Now Charlotte welcome to the podcast today. Uh, I want to talk to you a bit about this article. So what was the trigger that made you want to write the piece and how did you feel seeing the huge reaction to it? Yeah I didn't. um, Naively I when I decided to start writing more publicly about um, not even just like sexism, just women's a women's experience in the profession, basically, um, I knew I was going to get some stick for it. But that what I found bizarre was that opening article. I never actually thought that would be particularly triggering. I thought that I thought it was like a gentle entry into like this body of work that I was doing, and the intention of that particular article was. Um, just to say, look, I'm here, I'm on a learning journey, I um, really want to make this profession better for women. Um, This is some of my personal thoughts and feelings. Um, Let's have a conversation. And it wasn't wasn't, um, meant to be a tacky or anything like that. I don't think it really was. It just ignited some very strong-minded, yeah, views. So it was interesting. But yeah, so what triggered me to write it was that... um, I just in the community that I've got, the women's community, I was increasingly seeing um, we were having these quite good conversations around our experiences in the profession and what could have been done better and what was really difficult for us to navigate. Um, And it got to a point where I was like, well, why are we just talking amongst ourselves? Like we all already kind of know this. Like, why are we not? making this more openly available to um men frankly like that these are are our experiences um and then actually like we can all learn and make this better and so that was definitely one of the triggers and probably the other trigger is that um I have got a bit annoyed, quite annoyed, actually, with the fact that um, we all talk about how amazing this profession is for women. And I and I wholeheartedly agree. Like, I want to be clear, like, I do actually think this is a wonderful career for women. But equally, um, whilst the actual jobs that are available in this profession are fantastic for women, um, and I'd love to see more women coming through, actually, the culture within this profession across a lot of firms is actually really toxic. Um, And that's not just from my personal experiences, that's from speaking to hundreds of women about this and constantly getting private messages about situations. Um, So actually I was getting a bit bored of like, oh, this is a great profession um, and let's all talk about how amazing it is. When I'm like, yeah, great, but also can we talk about the things that we need to fix here, please? And I wasn't seeing any of that. So, yeah, that was kind of the um, it was kind of an entry point to can we start recognising there's some issues that we need to address here, please? Um, So, I mean, you said in the article yourself that you didn't think there was sexism in the profession until you had children. That was what made you really notice it. So can you recall like any specific experiences that that changed your opinion? 
Yeah, well, it wasn't so much um, about, I didn't think that sexism was present in the profession because I just had never thought about it. Like I genuinely had not thought about sexism in the profession at all, given it no thought. Um, it was more so that I just didn't think feminism was an essential, I didn't think it was important. I thought like, oh, it's just a redundant concept. Like who needs feminism? Like we should, we should mean, you know, we should all want equality. It's not about feminism. It's about equality. Like, and I have definitely in my past said those words, which make me feel sick now in hindsight, now that I am more educated because I fully know that the whole feminist movement is about equality, which is so it's like ridiculous statement to make, but I have, I definitely said stupid things like that before. And then I, it was my experience of being pregnant that made me start to open my eyes more and I want to be really clear that when I say that I don't mean that I experienced personally any maternity like discrimination or anything like that it wasn't that anyone treated me badly when I was pregnant and therefore it led me to um understand things more because I was already self-employed at that point and the firm that I was working for were like wholeheartedly supportive um so it wasn't that I was pregnant and there and had bad experiences. Um, it was this real juxtaposition that I had going on with my feelings around being pregnant. So I, in our home life and private life, we were absolutely delighted. Like we were so happy and like the standard excitable first time parents, like doing all of the shopping and doing all the classes and stuff like, um, so we were absolutely thrilled. We'd had a really um, upsetting and stressful experience in our first pregnancy and lost that quite horribly. Um, and so then second time around, we, when I was successfully pregnant um, and had my son, um, I was, you know, absolutely ecstatic at home. But then whenever I was in any sort of work environment or professional environment, um, I had this real like deep aching like shame and I, I, it took me a really long time to like figure out what that was because no one had ever openly said anything derogatory to my face about my pregnancies. Um, yet I was so embarrassed. Like I literally didn't want to talk about it. I hid it as best I could. If people asked me questions, I would like just redirect something else. Um, and it came from somewhere, you know, like that, the fact that I felt like I couldn't talk about being pregnant, having a family in any environment that I was in from like in the profession, um, became from years and years. So how many years have I been in the profession when I felt pregnant? Um, I don't know, 10 ish, 11 ish years of, um, compounded messaging of the fact that, you know, women's, you know, baby brain and women stop caring when they have children and women can't have, you know, can't be financial advisors or successful financial advisors and have families. And um, I just had heard so many derogatory statements about women um, having children for my entire career. Um, and I hadn't really thought about, I hadn't really been cared frankly if I'm honest I hadn't cared about that language or those messaging um because it wasn't impacting me as a young woman who didn't know if she had any intention of having children I was just kind of heard it but never really thought it was sinking in or cared and then obviously I was then pregnant and um yeah that all came home to roost really like that compounded 
messaging that I had had for so many years. So that was definitely the like the flick of the switch for me um, of like, we have got a problem here because I haven't just made up this feeling. And having sort of started to vocalise that, there are so many women who um, feel exactly the same way. We should not feel embarrassed or shame about the fact that we have um, decided to have families. Um, and then when you then add on to that, that so many women have really difficult experiences with employers who are unsupportive or experience discrimination or get passed over for promotions, like add that on top. Um, like it's just ridiculous. So, yeah, I digress. <laughs> it's like you are acutely aware of it and you're right. It, it hasn't affected me before, but I'm acutely aware of it even though it hasn't and that that shame around it and yeah you, as you say it comes from somewhere doesn't it yeah <laughs> the first uh well the infamous first comment I should say on your first article said having kids may not be a weakness but it is a choice and like all choices it has consequences so the implication of that uh, as I took it is that if you choose to have children you should accept giving up your career because it's inconvenient for, for businesses to have you do both uh, so in your article, you you said that you accepted you don't have all the answers. But what is one thing you would like to see the industry do to help women and maybe help businesses manage this dilemma? I'm going to call it a dilemma. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fair. Oh, God. Yeah, that was um, that's fun, wasn't it? So the thing is, the thing that I... Um, the thing about the trolls on that article, and that is fundamentally what they were, because they um, it was a minority of people who had... <laughs> Um, deliberately like inflammatory statements that came out um to the point where I thought do you actually feel like this or are you just sitting there thinking this is fun let's get them worked up but um the thing is I was actually counting on these people like I knew it was going to come out of the woodwork to an extent I didn't think it was going to be quite so dramatic on that particular piece but I knew with the future articles that I had planned and still have lined up I know that you know I was putting my head above the parapet I was going to get you know shot down to an extent so um so I wasn't surprised that I wasn't surprised that there were some, I suppose. I was surprised at how dramatic they were. Um, and, you know, overwhelmingly, there was really, really positive like comments. And what I really, um, what I found really uh, like positive about it all was that there were actually a lot more men speaking up saying, you know, we wholeheartedly support this, um, which I didn't anticipate, actually. I really didn't. Um, so that was really encouraging. But so, yeah, so for those sort of dramatic um, responses, I was, they did me a favour because they proved the point. Like if everyone had just been like, yeah, go Charlotte, that's a great article. Like I would have, like, it, it, it doesn't have as much effect. Like the fact that there are people sitting there, keyboard warriors coming out with this nonsense, um, did, yeah, helped prove the point. Like, look, look what we are contending with. This is the problem here. Um, and there was it, it was more than just him, obviously. But yeah, the famous the famous cakeism statement that um, it was interesting. And it's the way that um, it was like, oh well, you know, it is a choice. Sure, it is usually a choice to have, to have a family, um, and you should just accept the consequences. You women. You must accept the consequences of the fact that, generally speaking, a man and a woman decide to have a family and there are consequences for the woman. Like, you should just accept that. Like, there's no, like, joint impact. Um, it's it's interesting that that's 
perceived to be like a legitimate <laughs> argument for like oh well you've had a child now therefore you have to step back because it's really inconvenient to business and business is much more important than family um so I do honestly think that that's probably not a particularly um supported argument <laughs> I'd like to think even <laughs> even though I'm I'm quite cynical about the, the profession in that sense I, I like to think that that's not going to be um commonplace but yeah do I think there's things we could do to improve it um the thing is and uh, you know I did say in my article I don't have all the answers and I think it's even harder for me to give answers in the sense that it's all well and good me being like, you know, we shouldn't be impacted by maternity discrimination. But equally, I do not have employees um, where I am having to navigate um you know women going on maternity leave for a year so I I don't want to in any way try and suggest that I don't think that can be difficult for businesses to navigate like I do fully understand that actually it can take a beat to be like oh god right we've got but ultimately I like to think that um the overriding thoughts is great like that's wonderful news like how can we support you um and and that's the bit that I think we're missing is that like yeah I do understand that I think he was referred to as shenanigans doesn't it these women having shenanigans i.e children was super inconvenient to business um and like ultimately like we we need people to have children like we we do um, so um like yes it it is something it it can be difficult but like let's try and have productive conversation about how we can make that change more manageable um and also like there are solutions it's just that people don't want to embrace them um so I for example I follow um this um company on LinkedIn called the job share pair um or it might be on Instagram I'm not sure but it is these women who um worked as a job share and who now help businesses to um, successfully arrange job share arrangements. Um, like, I don't know many companies that actually proactively consider that as an option. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, why is that not talked about? Um, and I don't know that it would work for all businesses or all jobs, but like mostly people will just go, nah, and kind of not even consider it. Um, you know, flexible working now is... Like no one can say in our profession that you have to be tied to an office anymore. Like we have proven over the last 18 months or two years that like that's fundamentally not the case. Mm-hmm. So um if if the reason you're saying like a woman can't come back to work is because she, you know, has to leave. Although actually there was that case, wasn't there, last week? Yes. Did you see it? The case where like the fact that she couldn't be at her desk at five o'clock was not a good enough reason for her to have to leave her job. So hopefully we're going to see less of that now. Um, but yeah, that kind of thing, being changed to a desk and that's the expectation or you can't do the job. Like that conversation needs to go. Like it's ridiculous. So Uh, No, I really, I really don't have all the answers. I just know that what the experiences that I am hearing from women of what they are experiencing is just unacceptable. And as a profession, we need to be better at dealing with it. Mm -hmm. As you said, it's all good and well uh, saying that it's difficult, but we do need people to have kids, like you said, Mm -hmm. and we should actually be incentivizing that, if anything, 
not yeah. just women won't take it anymore. Yeah, and I definitely think there's a lot to be said for. Um, I think one of the most powerful things that any profession can do, actually, but obviously applies here, is really encourage um, shared paternity arrangements and actually making men um, like take as much leave as they possibly can um, and having a conversation around what they want from becoming fathers as well. Like we, I don't think I'm not a dad. So, but I, as I understand it, I don't know many men whose employers are like, okay, what do you want life to look like going forward? It's kind of just assumed he'll take like whatever the leave is and then get straight back to, to, to what life looked like before. Right. There's no like, okay, what do you want things to look like now? Um, but actually, that in itself would make the working world much better for women. So, um, yeah, that's like one of the key messages that I talk about with this sort of stuff. Um, cool. So you, as part of your um, promoting and encouraging women to, to speak out, you set up this amazing Facebook group um, called Empowered Women in Financial Planning. And um, it's, a, it's an amazing, inclusive community. But what was it that made you want to actually set that up? What drove that? Oh, I, I was lonely. That's, that's, sad, that's sad, isn't it? But it's honestly the truth. So, um, yeah, I was um, self-employed. I was working from home, from my spare room, um, and still am now, to be fair. And I had had a really, really positive experience of entering motherhood in that I was lucky to land into a really supportive um community of mums who um, were the sort of mums where I could like rock up like be a sobbing emotional like sleep deprived wreck practically throw my baby at them and be like I don't want him anymore like and instead of like judging me for it would be like that's fine like after the baby have a cup of tea here you go sit down like like rant at me about how horrendous life is right now and that's exactly what I would do and it was just so incredibly supportive and um, it made me really rethink like my relationships with women and it made me realise how much I didn't know that I had missed that in a work setting. So I had never really had a lot of female connections during the workplace by the nature of um, working predominantly with men, like in male dominated offices. Um, and so I was, the point of the community was that I just wanted some other women to talk to. I was like, oh, I had such a good experience of becoming a mother that like, I kind of wanted to em- emulate that in my work and professional life. And I knew that I wasn't the only mum working flexibly around her children. Like I knew there was more of us. So I was like, just trying to, um, I just wanted a place to almost replicate an office. And I was like, if I can get like 20 women in a group, we can just sort of like bounce ideas off of each other and it won't be a big deal, but like, it would be nice to have like, and then it's just kind of got carried away with itself, hasn't it? Cause um, yeah, yeah. And um, it's, and I'm like really proud of it because I'm not, I can take super loads of credit for it because obviously like it's a great community because of the people in it, not just because like me, obviously. Um, And it's exactly, what I wanted it to be like it's the most supportive um like office I've ever worked in despite not being an office um but it has in itself by the nature of the size of it and stories that come out and um the way that it sort of raised my profile in the profession like it's become a bit of a mission statement now Mm -hmm. and I never I never planned for it to take up any of my time or become a conference or anything else but um it yeah I, I kind of it's become really meaningful um, and 
it's made me realize how the messages that I had and the things, the thoughts and feelings that I had about being a woman in this profession actually weren't just mine and um, were a really shared collective experience. And it's made me quite angry, frankly. It probably comes across that I am like full of rage about how we need to improve this profession for women. And um, yeah, that's definitely been triggered from that. So um, yeah, it just it just it continually evolves into something else. Um, I never thought it was going to be a conference and now it is. So who knows what it might be next year. Um, I just, it's just wonderful. So I'm really, really proud of it. Well, it, it is wonderful. But speaking of the sort of negatives or the, the stories that make you angry that you were just talking about, uh, for your second article for uh, New Model Advisor, you asked women within the community to share their experiences of autism within the industry. And from memory, there were over 200 comments. Uh, yeah. I remember reading and I know how I felt, but <laughs> how did you feel reading all of those comments and, and did you expect to get that many? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, sounds all, yeah, I really did. I am. Um, the thing is, the reason that I reached out to the community very quickly after that article, actually, the first article went live, I spent 40 hours fielding comments. And while I was dealing with the comment section of that article, at the same time that I was like typing responses to that, my phone was going nonstop with people private messaging me via LinkedIn or Twitter or Facebook. Um like thanking me being like thank you so much like or like your article literally had me crying to my husband and like because I can completely resonate with everything you've said here or like thank you so much like I've experienced really extreme maternity discrimination so like I had these women sharing these stories and like feeling like they had somewhere to share this information with me at the same time I'm dealing with these on the other hand I'm like dealing with these trolls who are like oh we don't believe there's such thing as maternity discrimination in this day and age and it's like oh with your experience of being a man no I imagine that you maybe haven't ever experienced it personally um so yeah the whole point of that was I was like look this is not just one woman's um and I didn't as I mentioned I didn't touch on maternity discrimination really in that article because I hadn't personally experienced it um it just kind of became a conversation from it and so I went into my community I didn't even specifically say about maternity discrimination or sexism I just said any form of discrimination that you've experienced like I would really like to hear um and yeah absolutely that was just a public comments I also had so many people private messaging me saying like this was my story this is and I've got I I, I could write a book like quite literally write a book because I've had so many women reach out to me um and I imagine if I widened that message there would be men who would have stories that they've witnessed or you know partners who have experienced these things or colleagues etc so like I you know can well imagine that I could get even more if I opened those sorts of questions up um but in terms of how I felt when I read those comments like overwhelmingly just sick like it made me feel sick for days um and it wasn't because of the like the issues around maternity discrimination or um the, the outright sexism like everyday sexism that women were experiencing it made me feel sick because so many of them were fundamentally sexual assault um in every way you were just like this is not just discrimination like you like this is illegal like you should not have you like how have you been treated like this in a workplace how has this been allowed um and so yeah it made me feel 
like and when I say I'm filled with rage like I think if anyone had read the stories and been told the things that I've been told over the last few months I there isn't anyone who wouldn't feel rage about what has been going on in recent history as well I think it's very easy for us to be like oh it was a different time in the 90s but like these are stories that have happened this year like I've had several stories of people have said since lockdown and it's like we haven't even been in an office like much do you know what I mean (laughs) so um yeah it's it it it, yeah it makes me feel ill that we still and I think I'm in a bit of a bubble where I am working from home and I'm in this supportive community of women like it um yeah, I find it really sobering to hear from other women's experiences. And I think that's part of the messaging here is that like, we need to get that information. Even I was shocked. Um, I'm sure many women would be having not had those experiences themselves. So like that's this conversation and these articles that I've been writing, it isn't just to educate men on women's experiences. It's to open up all of our eyes to systemic issues in this profession. And it's the only way that we're going to make it better is to literally just go, yeah there's a problem let's let what can we do right um so yeah I want to talk about a quote that really stuck with me um was in your first article so you said being a woman does not automatically make you a feminist and um as you highlighted that that could come down to sort of the competitiveness among women so um what do you think we could do as a profession to help encourage more solidarity among women and kind of erase this uh, ingrained competitiveness <laughs> Yeah, oh God, it's a hard one because a lot, like I uh, mentioned already, like I definitely haven't always been a feminist. I probably would have said, no, I wouldn't. That's a lie. I wouldn't have said I was a feminist. I would have said that I didn't think feminism was necessary. That's that's how I would have felt. So I never would have said I would I was before. Um, but I think there are quite, and I hear quite often women sort of say, oh, I'm a feminist because I'm a woman. And it's like, that's not how it works. <laughs> like it's not. <laughs> and equally, some of the best feminists I know are men um, because they really get it. They really do. Um, and, it, you know, that's why I do a huge body of work now on allyship. And, you know, part of the reason that I'm writing these articles is to improve allyship across men and women. Um, equally um so what can we do as a profession to to improve solidarity for women well I think what I have learned from the community that's on Facebook is how much we have all been really hungry for that environment like for that space where we can talk about women's issues um, and we can talk about our experiences in an environment where we um feel safe um and I think it's one of those things that like we didn't really need, know we wanted it until we had it and we were like oh my god this is what we needed so I definitely think there's something to be said for encouraging that in real life um for sure and I also think one of the things that we need is to see more representation and more leadership of women in the profession and that's that's improving anyway nothing to do with me um but I remember I was talking to um a peer um a few months ago we were both writing our talks for next gen planners. So I was talking to Natalie Wright, who's a partner at um, Mazars, and we were talking about the fact that we both had like a shared experience, but not together. So we both remember being at the first work conference we'd ever been to where a woman walked on stage, and it was Sarah Lord. And we both really acutely remember that experience. And I was talking to Natalie about it. I was like, I remember when the first time I saw a woman on stage was like years into my career. And I was like, Oh my God, it's a woman. (laughs) 
And Natalie was like, that's exactly how I felt. Like it's so, it's like, it really has stood out to us both. Um, and the reason I use that as an example is because like, it shouldn't be anything exceptional, should it, to see a woman on a stage at a professional conference. But because we hadn't had that represented, like neither of us had experienced that representation before, um, it suddenly opened your eyes to the possibility that like, actually there's so much more available for us here like we there is so much more opportunity for us and um we can do so much more than we thought we could and that that is like it's from a simple thing of just seeing a woman on stage it's such powerful messaging and it's part of the reason why I have gone on to organize the event that I have because I really feel like we need to um be more inspired like we need to see much more um female leadership and women on stages although albeit mine the one I'm providing is virtual but the point is um and to hear from those women and be like to understand that we can have we can have that too and that by the nature of seeing those women working in like a really collaborative environment and seeing those women on stage like uh, the power behind that is like huge I think so I think just yeah like increasing representation across the board um and I think uh, quite a lot of men are are very dismissive of that and we'll be like why is that important though and I think the same conversation can be had for the race argument like why is it why is it an issue that there's an all male uh, all white panel and it's like this is why like representation is so important and it's really easy to dismiss that if you are male or if you are white because you don't understand what it's like to not have representation um so yeah I think that's one of the key things I think Adam Owen has like really spearheaded that with his next gen stance of like well we're having 50% women and that's it like that's the baseline that we are working to here there is no other option and he got that you like it so it is possible when people say like oh it's really hard because there is more men like yeah there is more men we know that but also if you actually try there are plenty of women too (laughs) (laughs) It's an, uh, something I love that Adam Owen does is he says he won't speak on all male panels. Mm-hmm. That if, if, yeah, if everyone did that, imagine it's amazing. Um, so I'm going to finally talk about this conference that you've been alluding to the whole time that you've played. Oh yeah, conference. sorry, I stole your thunder, <laughs> didn't I? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but you have organised this amazing conference designed exclusively for women in financial advice with I think 24 female speakers. Mm-hmm. I know you you've really tried to get um, some diversity in there. Um, so I was going to ask you what inspired you to do this, but you've kind of already answered that. You can say more on that if you want. Um, yeah, no, it was very, it was very much around like creating an event to like really inspire the next generation. So the, the body, the, the large part of the work that I am doing via sort of the empowered messaging. And when I say that we've got like a mission statement, the mission statement for me is very much a case of like, sure, we want it to be a supportive environment. Sure, we want to be inspired, but more importantly, like we want to make this like a, an amazing profession for the next generation like I want to be able to say to an 18 year old like girl who's like oh would you like to be a financial advisor I want to be able to say in good conscience this is incredible like come on in like this whereas at the moment I'm like yes there's re- it's really good career options but like you just have to be a bit careful because like it's a lot of sharks um and you end up sort of navigating them towards like safe places or like people you can kind of trust to be good eggs do you know what I mean um so yeah so the the part of the reason for the conference was to create this like inspiring space for the next generation that's like very much 
you know one of the main things that I'm trying to do is like make it a better place for the women who are coming through um so yeah that's really the main message for the whole thing um I do a lot of work around allyship and stuff but that's not really what this conference is about which is why it's not um, a mixed sex event um it's very much about women having the chance to be safe and vulnerable and talk about what could have been done better for them like in their careers um, and what difficult situations they found themselves in and what reflecting back on what could have been better for them or how um, I think it's great because it's going to make the, the people in the room or virtual room albeit um, the women who are employers will be better employers the um, younger generation are going to be inspired. And I also think there's something to be said for the fact that it's probably going to make us better financial advisors too um, when we're sitting opposite um, people in certain situations. Um, It will just give us a bit more insight into that. So that's a huge part of um, why I'm doing it. And I just thought there was a real space for it. Like I really felt like it was as I mentioned we all didn't know that we needed it until we had it and that's very much kind of how I feel about this conference as well it's like I feel like it's going to be one of those things it's like god we really needed like a women's thing and that's okay like I don't think there's anything um wrong with that I've, I've come under some fire for the fact that it is a closed house and men aren't welcome if this particular event at, from a live perspective there will be content available um afterwards if they so choose um and I want to be really like people have said like well how would you feel if it was a men's conference and I'm like well actually if there was a good enough like there was a good reason for it being a men's conference like I would be fine so for example I usually um I sort of say like well if it was a a, an event talking about men's mental health like we know suicide rate is the like suicide is the biggest killer of men under 40 so if if there was an event for men to speak or encouraging men to speak openly about their experience of mental health and that you know the the goal being to stop that from happening to reduce the suicide rate and that event would be better and those men could be more open and vulnerable without women there like great like I would throw my weight behind that um so I I find it really odd that people are like oh well you know isn't it like isn't it sexist to have an all women's event it's like no no it's it's not (laughs) yeah I've had it a bit Goodness me. So, I mean, it sounds like you've come under fire and you have you've said that you have actually had some difficulty getting a diverse diversity within it and encouraging people to actually put themselves forward to speak. So what what has your biggest takeaway been from organising an event that you wanted to be all women, that you wanted to be diverse? Um, I've just learned so much from it. Firstly, like you cannot do it by yourself. I have definitely learned that. Um, yeah, so thankfully, like um, Adam Owens has been really supportive and ne- the team at Next Gen Planners. Um, and, you know, obviously they are familiar with organising conferences. So that's super handy. Um, but also, I think, uh, and I mentioned this earlier, Adam took a really impressive stance with his view of like 50% representation for women. Um, and obviously we've got, you know, 100% here. So that's fine. Um, but I wanted it to be diverse in other ways. So I wanted to make sure that um, it wasn't all white, straight women, but able-bodied women who were 
on on the stage of this particular event. Um, this is particularly relevant for the 18 peer group speakers that I've got. Um, but the problem that I had is I was asking for volunteers and the women who were coming forward as volunteers um, were largely white women, were largely able-bodied and largely straight. So actually, and it was this really difficult situation where like I wanted it to be super diverse, as diverse as we could make it, because I know that representation is important. Um, equally, I was asking for volunteers. And if other people weren't coming forward, I didn't want to start pointing out people and be like, you, like, <laughs> you come on board. So, you know, I did put out calls in, in the group and be like, look, I am trying to do this thing, but like it's harder than I anticipated Um, and I had really positive feedback from that and actually people said yeah like I will talk about this Um, and actually you know I'll talk about this and um, so that's been great but yeah it's it's harder than I realized and also what I have come to understand is that um, if you have um, a white woman and a black woman next to each other and you're asking them to give a talk about their experiences that's not asking the same thing of both of those people like just as an example of having those two things um like I recognize um and that's just picking racism as it, obviously there is you know the same thing for able-bodiedness and and, and uh sexual orientation um I understand now where I don't think I did before that you're not asking it's not as it's a much bigger ask for anyone who has been marginalized in other ways than just being a woman to it's much harder for them um and actually yeah like recognizing that um has been really eye-opening for me. Um, And I'm still definitely, I want to be clear that I'm still definitely learning in this space. And again, that's part of the event. We've got great talkers, um, speakers, sorry. (laughs) Great speakers um, who are specifically covering these topics because like, I I want to be a better financial advisor. I want to be a better leader of women. um, And, you know, I've got a lot of learning to do. And, you know, part of it was really selfish. Like I'm going to learn so much from these women who are speaking. (laughs) So... Yeah. Well, that sounds amazing. And I'll be getting myself a ticket. So, <laughs> um, awesome. So, I'm going to close with I mean, you talked a bit earlier about um, if a young woman coming to the profession, you might actually not, not be able to wholeheartedly say what a brilliant space this is for women and that you would guide them to somewhere safe. So, I suppose right now, what, what would your advice be to some, a young woman considering a career in financial planning? Uh, I. <laughs> Yeah, I always feel like I come across as like I'm saying that I don't like our profession. Like if I didn't want the profession, I'd just leave. Do you know what I mean? Like, so I'm not, I really, really advocate for this being a fantastic profession. Um, And I don't just mean being a financial advisor. I think, um, you know, being a power planner, being, um, you know, going down the compliance or operational um, route. Like I think there are, this profession is fantastic for anyone who is young, not just women. But um, yeah, obviously it is a male-dominated profession. So great to see more women coming through. Um, but equally I know from my like from other like because I'm exposed to so many stories of what women are going through that it's really choppy waters um and quite often what we see 
is women like coming in being chewed up spout and then leaving the profession and then we wonder like why there's still only the same number of women in the profession 10 years later and it's like because they leave they come (laughs) they have terrible experiences and they leave um so we don't get any further with it so I at the moment if I'm honest I'd be like look yeah it's great um I will help you to find somewhere good I've got this community of women now who will have your back and I think that's super powerful in itself to have people who have have your back not at your employers um but equally it's it's probably going to be a bit tough um because there is deep-rooted sexism in many many offices still and it's just perceived to be okay it's just perceived to be lab banter um so yeah like buckle up (laughs) but I like to think that over the course of my career that message is going to change significantly and I hope to be a part of that and I think there is people doing fantastic work to improve that by the way um you know Kathy Harris and the um Kathy Harrison and the Verve Group and the training program that they're offering. Um, that's just one example. There's obviously loads of loads of great training programs. So um, yeah, I, I do genuinely think it's wonderful. It's just difficult to navigate. Well, I'll ask you again in five years and see if your answers change. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. I hope, and I hope I can take just a smidge of credit for it as well, just like a little <laughs> bit. That would be great. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Charlotte. This has been such an interesting conversation and I am sure our listeners will think so too. Um, So to everyone listening, thank you so much. Uh, If you have any questions for us or for Charlotte, feel free to get in touch. You can find us on Twitter at New Model Advisor. Otherwise, have a wonderful rest of your day and thanks for listening.